Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning. It's great to see all of you out this morning, especially those of you who are new to MCC. Thanks so much for being here this weekend and for returning with us the last few weeks. And uh, this weekend, as we come to the end of this series, I... I just so appreciate this song that they led into this weekend's message with. All of us need encouragement, right, at times? And I think that the greatest encouragement for Christians is to look ahead to heaven and what that day is going to be like. And I, I am so excited about that opportunity that you and I are living towards. I also think it's important for us to encourage one another. It's always good to greet each other and, and to celebrate birthdays and all of those things. But, but there's someone here with us today. She's been with us for the last several weeks and she's been coming in a little bit late and leaving a little bit early because she's just not quite ready for all of the crowd to just come and hug on her like we want to. But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to hug her with your celebration for the accomplishments that she's made since her accident. Please welcome Nancy Stone to the room this morning. It is such, such a blessing to have one of the greatest encouragers in this church family, especially to many of you ladies, to see her back. And she brought Bill with her, so it's, it's good. <laughs> It's good to see you guys. Well, grab a Bible, and I want you to turn with me two places. Both are in the New Testament. Both are in the Gospels. The first is Luke chapter 19. Uh, that's the person's story, the account of their life that we're going to take a look at today. And I want you to just hold your place there, and then turn a couple books back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 as we wrap up this series with perhaps the most powerful promise yet, and that is the promise that Jesus made of more, of more. Uh, how many of you have ever experienced room service, right? You go to one of those upscale hotels like Motel 6, you know, <laughs> and you go in and right there on the buffet, they have free water. They have those little one-serving, you know, things of, of coffee you can put in the coffee maker. And I, that is room service for many of us. But there's a few in the room. Now, I'm not one of them, but there's a few in the room that have experienced real room service. In fact, there was a couple that went on vacation recently, and they took their two boys with them, and they went to one of these upscale hotels that offered room service. And so that night, mom and dad thought, well, this is a good opportunity for us to get a little time out. The, the boys can order from the menu and, and get food delivered to them. They don't have to leave the room. And so they explained to the boys, this is how room service works. You can pull up the menu on the TV. You can select whatever it is that you want. And within an hour, somebody will bring your food to you. It'll be hot. And all you have to do is put a little X on the ticket as if you're signing your name. And so off mom and dad went for the evening. Well, a few hours later, maybe 10, 1030, they came in came back to the hotel room and they quietly opened the door to see the two boys just laid out on top of the bed. They didn't even roll down the covers. They just were passed out on top of the bed and there were two extra large pizzas sitting there on the bed, one for each of them, cheese pizzas, almost every piece eaten. 
Uh, over on the buffet, there was a pint of their favorite ice cream, two spoons sitting there dripping with what was left, and then a two-liter bottle of root beer. And, and mom and dad just kind of chuckled to themselves, and then they were mortified realizing that those boys could have ordered anything they wanted off of the menu. But luckily, they chose junk food. They chose probably the cheapest thing on the menu. And when you think about it, in many ways, we often do something similar in our relationship with God. The God who has unlimited resources, the God who offers us the very best things in life. He offers us so much more than a room service menu, but like these two boys, we often settle for so much less. In Matthew chapter 5, many of you will recognize this section of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives perhaps one of his most well-known sermons. It's titled the Sermon on the Mount. But what's so interesting about this sermon and what was so striking to those who gathered on the hillside that day to listen was that the first word out of his mouth was blessed. Blessed, which means fulfilled, happy, a joy that can only be yours through the power of God's spirit living inside of you. Now, this was a shocker to those listening because they thought this kind of joy was reserved only for death when everything would be fulfilled. They thought this joy was reserved only for the Greek gods of their time who had everything according to their wants and desires. But Jesus, Jesus said, blessed, fulfilled at peace, is the person who's poor in spirit. Blessed, joyful, fulfilled, is the person who, who is sometimes persecuted for their belief. Blessed is the person who's meek and who's, who's humble, those who mourn. Blessed and happy are those who are pure in heart. It was a radical idea to those who first heard it, and it's just as radical today. And, and he went on as if that wasn't enough. And in chapter 6, he talks about when someone does something against you, instead of striking back, you, you turn the other cheek. He, he talked about putting aside worry and, and not worrying about tomorrow and what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear, but how he would, he would provide all of these things. He even gave a lesson on prayer. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, if I had been there, if you had been there, this is where I think the crowd looked up and they leaned in as he gave this promise of more. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Many of you are familiar with this. He said, ask and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. To him who seeks, they find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I think this promise is amazing because it's promise on top of promise on top of promise. Here we see that Jesus is promising, what he's promising is perhaps far more than a room service menu. 
But it's when you think about it, it's a radical transformation in how we view our circumstances, our opportunities that are before us right this minute. He's telling us that there's more insight, that there's more understanding, that there's more blessing, there's more life for the living. And there are three things that unlock this. Ask, seek, and knock. But did the crowd get it? Have we gotten it? Well, there was one man who did, and his name is Zacchaeus, and his story is found in Luke chapter 19. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus lived like, 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 lived life like many of us do today. He, he had what he needed. He had a nice home. He had a good salary. He had a stable job. Everything that the world said, this is, this is when you arrive, Right? When you're established, when you have good work, when you, when you have a good savings, when you've got the home of your dream, everything the world told him would bring joy and happiness he had. But Zacchaeus knew there was something disappointing built into everything that the world offers. And what he needed, what he really wanted was, was missing. Zacchaeus was starving for what mattered. He was starving for what would last. What did Zacchaeus want? He wanted more. He wanted more. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this, and then they began to talk among themselves. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, for Jesus came, I came, he said, to seek and to save what was lost. Now, aren't you sometimes, aren't you sometimes just the least bit curious about how Christian couples, let's say, Christian couples can go through so many things. But perhaps you know a couple who were just on the brink of divorce, right? One of them had already filed. They were in the cool down period and, and the fire was, was rebuilt in their relationship. You know families who have gone through terrible, terrible loss in their family. Something that rips many apart. You see these things going on in a, in a person's life, and yet they seem, they seem to have a joy inside of them. They, they seem to have a relationship like, like no other couple does. They, they love each other. They encourage each other. They, they're involved in so many things together. Do, do you ever wonder why? 
uh, do you ever wonder, students, uh, why a teenager that you're friends with is so confident about their identity, but yet they're not part of the group. They don't sit at the lunch table you do. They, they, they're off on their own. They, they're nobody, but yet, but yet they seem so confident about who they are. And, and, and you who sit at the table, you, you just can't imagine what that is. And in fact, there's a part of you that wants that. How, how sometimes the girl who dresses the most modest gets the best guy. I mean, you've let it all hang out. There, there's nothing left to imagine. But yet, you end up with the jerk. I can't tell you how many beautiful, beautiful girls in high school. And this was 100 years ago since I was in high school. And every one of them Every one of them ended up with such losers. Some of them are still waiting tables at the same place they worked in high school. They just, they were, they were never loved the way a woman is supposed to be loved. Aren't you the slightest bit interested in how someone who chooses God's plan of tithing and, and debt-free living seems to always have enough? They, they give away so much and and yet you struggle with payments and, and always feel like there's never enough. Aren't you the slightest bit curious? Zacchaeus was. That's what caused him to climb that day, that tree that day. He, he wanted to see the man behind this promise of more. And so he was so curious, he positioned himself in the tree so that he could catch a safe look at Jesus. A safe look. He didn't want to get too close. And that's the way Zacchaeus had lived his life for some time, is that he didn't want to get too close to God's ways. He watched from a distance, just like he was trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus that day. But here's the first lesson that we learn from Zach's life and and that we learn from God's word today about this promise of more and how to engage that. The first is this. We too often settle for much less. We settle. You settle. I've settled. Because we're unwilling to live higher and lean harder. To live higher and to lean harder. I'm not talking about buying your way, proving yourself. I'm just talking about living to a higher standard. Aligning yourself with God's principles instead of doing it the way the world does it. I'm talking about leaning into someone other than yourself. The one who has every resource at his fingertips, who's promised you certain things in life, but yet we're just unwilling, unwilling to wait. Now, don't get me wrong. Zach was living the, he was living the high life. Luke tells us he was wealthy. He probably had more resources, a nicer home. He ate better than most of the people in the town that he lived, but his wealth in his life was based on what he could get on his own. And what he viewed as important to him. But God calls us to live higher than that. Not on ourselves, but leaning on him who's always ready, always waiting to give us more than we need. James chapter 4 verse 2 addresses this. He says, you do not have, he's speaking to believers, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
Now let me go ahead and address the obvious. If we're told to ask God for what we need, in fact, the young man who was in the service last night, he, I just love it when, when people actually take some of this to heart. And he stopped by my office this morning. He said, Dave, I've got a scripture you need to use in service. I thought, okay, this ought to be a good one. But, but he reminded me of John, let me see, I wrote it down here. He reminded me of John 14, 13, when Jesus said, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father be glorified. I thought, man, that boy's listening. Now if he'll just apply it. But let me address the obvious. If we're told to just ask God, then why doesn't he give us what we asked for? Why didn't he spare our grandson? Why doesn't he give us the six-figure salary? I mean, we're going to be generous with it, right, when he gives it to us? Well, why doesn't he give us a home that doesn't have electrical problems or a roof that leaks or that's next door to one of these scroungy neighbors that leaves all of their trash out in the yard? Why doesn't he give me good health? Why doesn't he give me the desire of my heart? And I, I want you to hear me clearly on this because I, now I'm, I'm saying I, I'm talking about me. I personally believe that God often does give us exactly what we ask for. In fact, I've shared with this family before the number of years that I pled with God for one thing, one thing in my life. It was 15 years or more I asked him for this. And finally, through a set of circumstances that I would have never asked for, I got exactly what I asked for. And I couldn't get to my knees quick enough to repent and say, I am so sorry. I am so stupid. I'll never ask for selfish things again. I want only what you want. You see, that's the problem. That's the problem. I wish he wouldn't give us what we ask for because we often ask from a very poor perspective. We ask out of desperation, we ask out of selfishness, or, or we lack an understanding of what's most important at the moment, where God sees it all. So is there a right way to ask? Well, James continues in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves to God. That, that's the lean harder. Lean into him. Submit yourself to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, he's not talking about a physical nearness. He's talking about lining your life up with God's precepts, with his teaching, his commands that are best for you, that open the door, that unleash all of these things in your life. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Now, that's one of the things that I appreciate about the liturgy in some of the churches. I may not agree with their doctrine, but, but I like it that they have a, a bowl of water right there in the sanctuary, just like back when the tabernacle was built. Wash your hands, symbolizing clean heart, uh, getting the stuff out of our minds that are distracting us from, from God. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. What, what's he asking for there? He's asking us to see that, that this living outside of, of asking him and seeking him, 
It's nothing compared to life in alignment with him. Living in his blessings, it should cause us to grieve and, and to mourn and, and to even wail at times, realizing how lost we are without him. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? So you can humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. And you know what happens when you humble yourself before the Lord? James says he'll lift you up. <laughs> he'll lift you up. He'll give you more. Zacchaeus, listen, he was in the right place, but he just wasn't at the right altitude. And so Jesus invites him down from the tree, verse 5. He says, Zacchaeus, you, you come down here. Let's stand toe-to-toe. -to -toe. In fact, let's not stand here. Let's go to your house. Let's go to your house. You hear what Jesus is saying to us and to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, how about you invite me in? Will you invite me into your situation? This is what Jesus means when he says to ask. He says to ask. Instead of going straight to God with your list of all of these things, that you ask to invite God in to your situation. Ask him what's the best move to make and when. I remember a couple who who moved away. Uh, they were so anxious to get on, to have a new job. And the last thing they thought about was church. <laughs> Their church that was so important to them. I mean, once you've been part of this family, I, I'm just saying, go try someplace else. You'll never experience a family like this one. And they went and the job was okay. The schools, well, they were schools. But they couldn't find a church for the life of them. They looked for a year. And finally they came back and they said, what did we do wrong? And I said, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know the answer to that question? Because I'll tell you. I said, you, you put the cart before the horse. You didn't do the most important thing. You don't just move for a job. You move to where God wants you to be. Where you can serve him the best. Will you invite me into your situation? Will you ask him what's the best move to make and win? Will you ask him what your response should be to a situation instead of just blowing up? Will you ask him what he wants from you and why he wants it and then humble yourself and do it? Whether he wants you to persevere, maybe he wants you to forgive. Maybe it's to simply rest, to trust, to speak up. Boy, if there's ever a time to speak up, speak up. So, some of you who are going into the medical field right now, they are so short-staffed with nurses. And you find yourself being asked to work seven days a week, 10, 12, 14-hour-a-day shifts. Do you know? Do you know that you don't have to miss every Sunday morning service or every Saturday night service or every Wednesday night service? That you can say, hey, hey, I, I will be off at least one Wednesday or at least one Saturday so that I can go to worship. This is the best time to ask. 
Because what else are they going to do without you? Not to mention trusting that God's going to provide for you when you stand for him and for what he wants for your life. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory. Here is, here, here's, a, here, here's an old man that wrote this a long time ago. And, and listen to how he gets it. He says, we are half-hearted creatures. <laughs> fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. <laughs> Does that not speak to us sometimes? And that's the second reality of this promise. And that's be willing to get out of the perch that you're sitting in. <laughs> be willing. And that's tough. Be willing to get out of the bed that you've made for yourself. Be willing to get out of the life you're living, the, the mindset that you have. Uh, quit living vicariously through, through your children's experience or someone else's experience. Get out of the perch that you're sitting in and experience more. Get into the mix of it. Like at a ball game. Uh, it's, it's so hilarious to me to, to see people who get so into the game. Uh, guys that are sitting up there with their beer bellies, right? Who, who could never hit a baseball, but, but they're so into it. When it's the people on the field who are playing the game, not the guy in the stand. And Christians... This is where Jesus is directing us in this promise to seek and find. The blessing of more is realized only when I get in the game. When I pursue him, when I trust him, when I follow him, when I walk with him, when I engage him in what his word requires of me. Zacchaeus, he came seeking what he thought was going to be just a glance. And the moment that you decide to seek Jesus out, he wants you to know that he's there to be found by you. Do you notice that he already knew Zacchaeus' name? Just like he knows yours and your situation. He wants you to join him, not just settle for a glance. Jesus looked up in that tree of Zacchaeus where he'd perched himself. And he said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that perch. Let's go to your house. Let's get a little more serious about this. When we read Luke's account of Zacchaeus, we, we think, okay, if Jesus wants to visit my house, I mean, if he asks, right, even though it's a little dirty, even though there might be some things sitting on the counter in the refrigerator, we'd, we'd rather he not see, right? He'd hide the bottles, hide the things. We're okay with that, aren't we? If Jesus said, hey, I want to stop by your house today, I'd, I'd let him in. Let, you know, stay in, the, stay in the front room. Don't, you know, don't go downstairs, certainly. When we hear Luke's account of Zacchaeus, we think, okay, if Jesus wants to visit my house, that's great. But Jesus wants to do more than visit. He wants to be more than your buddy. He wants to live inside of you. 
He wants this to be his house, to be his home. Remember, God doesn't dwell in temples made by man. He lives within the heart of the man. And that means we have to seek him out. What's that look like? Well, we seek him out in every situation. We seek him out in every circumstance, and then we join him there. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's so much more than just a glance. It's so much more than climbing up a tree and and looking down. He, He wants you to be right there toe to toe. And while everyone else went about their day that day, Zacchaeus, he, he caught it. He came down out of that tree. He went to his house with Jesus and he was filled. And my, I suggest to you that he found more. And I know this because of verse eight, we see an immediate change in Zacchaeus's life. And no matter how well you've lived, there should be an immediate change in your life and mine when we Seek him out, and we begin to ask in our lives. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and to those I've cheated, I'll pay back four times the amount. I probably would have said, okay, Lord, you want 10%, I'll give you 15. In verse 9, Jesus qualifies what's taken place with Zacchaeus. As if we can't figure it out by the life change, he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Even though Zacchaeus had come just for a look, he found more. He found salvation. He found a relationship with God. God's always been clear about his intentions for us. The reason why he asked, the reason why he says seek. Verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus, I came for you. (laughs) Just as Jesus came for us, while we think we're seeking God, God is seeking us and he will use anything, especially the circumstances in our life especially the mistakes that we make when we're doing it on our own. He'll use every good thing as an opportunity to give us more. So Jesus says, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you will find. And then he concludes with this promise of knocking and the door will be opened. And this is where the promise of more, in in my mind, becomes so powerful. Listen to this perspective. When we knock on the door of God's promise of more, he he grants us access to what's on the other side. It's pretty straightforward when he says, knock and the door will be open to you, right? We see this door, whether it's a door to the building, a door to your home. In this case, it's the door to more. And we've got an idea of what's on the other side. And so Jesus says, I want you to knock. Now, now at first you look at that and you're like, oh, okay. Must not have been loud enough. Uh, Maybe if I do it with both hands up. Uh, uh, Who said that? (laughs) Oh, for heaven's sakes. Gosh, got got these Kentuckians on the front row over here. 
she hears knocking all the time. Who is that? Sometimes when he, he doesn't answer that knock, it's kind of like me at my house. Anybody have side lights on their front doors, you know, glass where you can see through? Anybody been walking through your house and you not expect anybody to come knocking? Right? And in the minute you catch a glimpse of them, you like hit the floor, you're down, and you're trying to crawl over behind the couch where they can't see you. Is that what God does sometimes? He sees that it's you. Do you ever feel that way? He sees it's you, and now is not the time. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want you asking for one more thing. I don't think, even though that's a good picture of coming and knocking, I think there might be a little bit deeper perspective of the knock. I think that we're knocking on the door of God's promise of more when we grant forgiveness to someone. Uh, Think about it. We're knocking on the door of God's promise of more when we grant the forgiveness that he teaches us in Matthew 6, that we should turn the other cheek. That if someone has something against us, we should release them from that. Because what happens when we forgive according to God's plan? Who's really? We are. We're set free. Isn't that more? You see? Knocking on the door. I think God's promise of more, we're knocking on the door, that promise of more. When we humble ourselves and we apologize for our part in something. And in that moment of humility, we we discover the heart of the other person. I I said something foolish last week to someone in a small group. I I know that's a surprise to you guys. (laughs) But I I made light of something. And I didn't realize that this something was a big something in this young person's life. And I'm so glad they didn't just get in their car and go home and be mad. But, but they stayed, and, and they let me sit down with them and, and say, hey, that was really foolish of me. Now let me explain to you why I make light of this instead of, instead of hammering it into you like the hellfire and brimstone preachers that many of us grew up under. I, I make light of it so we can have a conversation, but I realized that was wrong. I didn't realize this was going to... I learned so much more about that person. I experienced more, and hopefully that person did. We're knocking on the door of God's promise of more when we choose to say no to gossip and drama and walking away mad or demanding that what we want instead of what might be best for the other person. We're knocking on the door of God's promise of more when we're obedient to his commands. Knocking is obedience to God's ways. And obedience to God's ways opens the door to more always, more than we could ever experience doing it on our own. And I think this is what Zacchaeus discovered. Zacchaeus, who lived his life like those two little boys ordering room service for the first time, except he lived his life that way. I'll take two cheese pizzas today. Uh, Okay, I'll take a pint of chocolate Rocky Road. Yeah, some cold A&W root beer sure sounds good. Bring bring it on. He was settling for such junk until the day he came seeking more and he found more. And from there, he never stopped knocking. 
The psalmist wrote, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What is it that you have come hungry for? I look out in this room and I know most of you. And I know that you, you have a lot of things going for you in life. You got a lot of good things. You got a good church family. Some of you have beautiful, wonderful children. They might be boogers sometimes. You've got good spouses. But, but, but even you know, even you know that there's something, there's something that's just not right. There, there's something that you've been settling for and, and what God has for you is so much more. Maybe, maybe it's just one little area of your life that you've said no to him on. He wants you to ask him now, like right now, not, not next week, but right now, whenever we read his word, whenever we hear his word, uh, it, it starts affecting us. And we either say no or we say yes. That's why we, we've even changed that uh, welcome home card that you got on the way in. And, and if you haven't pulled that out, especially if you're uh, uh, new to MCC, we, we want to know these things about you. But everyone in this room, I, I want to know what it is that you are asking God for. Well, what is it that you now are willing to seek from him? Uh, have you been asking him? Have you been involving him? What are the things you're doing in your life that you, you realize now, oh, I'm, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. And now you want to knock a little bit harder. You want to lean in a little bit more. And you want to do those things that God commands you to do. Because you know on the other side, there's exactly what he wants for you to have. You can write those things down. In fact, I encourage you to write those things down. But you can take it one step further. And today, maybe the thing that you're, you're seeking Maybe the door you need to be knocking on is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You see, that's step one, is to say, God, I, I'm nothing without you. God, God, I'm tired of the separation. I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do things your way. And you come and you surrender your life to him in baptism. Uh, maybe you're one of those, those folks that have been hurt by a church and in, in the past or disappointed by a church and, and you're an immersed believer but you've been doing this on your own and you think oh I'm better off on my own no you're not no you're not come down out of the tree and get a face to face look at, at this home that you can be a part of I, I'm going to pray for you as you contemplate your next step and then we'll stand together and we'll sing and, and you can finish your written response or, or you can come forward and share your public response. Father, God, we want you to, we want your thoughts, we want your ways to consume our thinking right now. We want you to be the focus, the focus of our life. We, we want your truth, we want your ways, we want your promises. We ask, Father, we ask, Father, that we would understand this for, for once in our life. 
Father, we would seek you out. Even in the even in the thing that we filed just two weeks ago for separation, that, that we would back up for a minute and say, God, God, I, I want to seek what you want. And, and if you want to do a powerful thing in my life, then if you want to teach me, Father, and, and, and help me to get myself straight before I even try to, to get someone else straight, Lord, then let it be. Maybe, maybe today... Father, there's, there's those in the room that are just, they've been pounding away and they just didn't realize that the door is ready to be open through our obedience to, to what you've already commanded us to do. I pray that they would find what's on the other side of that door. So Father, what, whatever it is that you have for each individual today, uh, we've come seeking it. I pray that you'd reveal it. Father, I'll do whatever you ask. And I'll do it by Jesus' strength and power. It's in his name. Amen.